Hello everyone, welcome to the Memorial Heights Baptist Church podcast. Here you'll find archived all of our previous messages dating back to late 2020. Our hope is that today's message would be encouraging to your walk with Christ. We also want to thank you for spending time listening today and encourage you to share these messages with a friend so they too might hear the Word of God. But for now, grab your Bible, open your ears, and let's get to it. Turn with me one more time to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. In times of war, the wise pray for peace. And in times of peace, the wise pray for peace. But the reality is, the Word of God has already told us, true peace, lasting peace is only found one place. It's found in Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. We've all tried to save a few bucks and bought the cheap cheap knockoff version of something. And sometimes it lasts a couple months. Sometimes it lasts a couple days before we recognize that, generally speaking, you get what you pay for. Oh, sometimes I know some of us are holding out for some good deals this week, right? Some of us are holding out for some good deals. But generally speaking, you get what you pay for. And Jesus paid for our peace with his own life, with his own shed blood on that cross. Jesus paid for our peace. And made a way in his resurrection for us to be justified when we repent of our sins, when we trust in him for our forgiveness, when we call upon him to be our savior, we have peace with God. And Isaiah 26, 3 says that God will keep him or her in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. Because he trusteth in thee. See, the reality is, God has promised us peace, and it's yours for the taking. But many Christians aren't experiencing the peace that they have because our minds aren't focused on him. We're like Peter, who we walk on the water of our circumstances for a few steps, and then we take our eyes off of Jesus and put them on our circumstances and we begin to sink. But praise the Lord, like Peter, when we call out and say, in the midst of our failures, in the midst of our stumbling, Lord, save me, Jesus does come and he is always with us. He's promised never to leave us or forsake us. He is the Prince of Peace. And so I I would call this one of the most underappreciated promises that God has ever made to his people. The promise of peace, because, again, while we should be praying for peace, even in times of peace, many times it's not till there's a problem, not till there's an unrest, not till there's a conflict that we actually, if we're smart, if we're wise, we'll begin to pray for it. And tonight we're going to be speaking as we close out our study on First Thessalonians here in these last few verses. We're going to focus in on the God of 
peace. Now, before we dive into verses 23 through 28, let me just one more time remind you that the key verse of 1 Thessalonians is back in chapter 1, verse 3, where we are uh, told that God is looking at us, at, at our church and every church, and looking for a work of faith, and looking for labor of love, and looking for patience of hope. And that faith, love, and hope, where, of course, in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, Paul rearranges the order, but he stresses those same three essential virtues of every church, every Christian. He focuses in on those in this short epistle. Chapter 1 into chapter 2, he talks about the basis for all of that, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the death of Jesus. It's the resurrection of Jesus that motivates us, that enables us, that gives us something to place our faith in and, and gives us a reason to love and a way to know what love is. As 1 John 3.16 says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus gave himself for us. And so we should give our lives for our brothers. And then, of course, the patience of hope, the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And then he begins to unpack those three things in this book. And then in chapter five, when he comes to the application of faith, love and hope in action, he tells us what a church will look like if they're practicing these three things and what an individual believer's life will look like as we at, as we uh, ob observe these three things. But after giving us those applications and those uh, measuring sticks, if you will, to see how we're doing in our personal walk, how we're doing as a church. God doesn't want to leave us hanging, thinking that all this depends on us. That it's all about our strength, that it's all about our effort. And so here at the end of this epistle, Paul promises us in verse 23 and following, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. Now, let's stop there for a moment. I want to remind you what Paul tells Timothy in, I believe, 2 Timothy, when he says that even when we are faithless, God remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. And so our faith is placed in God and our faithfulness is expected by God in God to God. But God doesn't just make us do it all on our own. God gives us his spirit and enables us to be made whole and to become more and more faithful and more and more loving and more and more hopeful as we allow his work to go on in us. So let's talk for just a few moments, these two verses, about the work of the God of peace, the work that God is doing in the hearts and lives of his children. But what is peace? What is peace? The Greek word uh, literally means to join or tie together into a whole. Or another word, another word that we could substitute for peace literally is wholeness. It is being whole. James in James chapter four says, from whence cometh wars and fightings among you? And the answer is because 
you're at war with yourself. The reason that we have wars between countries and the reason we have wars between neighbors and the reason that we have wars, yes, even in churches, is because we all have a war going on inside of our own heart. A war between the old nature, our flesh, and the new nature. And the Spirit of God inside every believer is very jealous for our affection, James says. And so we need to make sure that we understand that wholeness cannot come from ourselves. We cannot make ourselves whole. We are all Humpty Dumpty, and we cannot put ourselves back together again. And it's going to take more than all the king's horses and all the king's men to put Humpty Dumpty back together again. It's going to take the king himself. The king himself can put us back together again, can put our broken lives, our broken hearts back together again. If you've lived any amount of time, I know you've had a broken heart. And some of you could give testimony even better than I could give. And I can give testimony of, of how God has healed pain, deep pain in, in my life, in, in, in our life together, Gigi and me. The, the losses that we've endured. And some of you have endured even greater losses. And you can give testimony to how God has brought you through those circumstances and brought you through those losses and those trials. And we need to share those testimonies with one another because somebody tonight is going through a trial and going through a time of brokenness and they may not even be sharing it. One of the things you learn when you're in any type of ministry for any amount of time is that not everybody shares their pain with everybody. And there are some people who are carrying pain that nobody else knows about except for maybe one or two people that they've trusted, maybe in their family, maybe they can't even share with their family. Uh, sometimes the pastor or the counselor is the one that they share with. But there are people dealing with things that we don't realize. And it's why we always have to be gentle with others. It's all I try to remind myself if I'm at a restaurant and uh, the waitress is having a particular bad day or the waiter's having a particular bad day. I try to remind myself that I don't know what's going on in their life. Now, that's never an excuse for rudeness. And if you keep going back to the same restaurant and you keep getting the same kind of service, maybe it's not just a circumstance issue that's going on in their life. It, it, maybe it is just a heart issue that's going on in their life. But even so, what they really need is Christ. What they really need is Jesus. Jesus is the one who will make you whole. Jesus is the one who will put the pieces of your heart back together. It's what peace means. And so when we talk about the God of peace, peace when Jesus says the peace that I leave with you is not the peace of the world it's not just a temporary feeling of being put back together it's wholeness from our creator who will never leave us never fail us even though sometimes we think that he has failed us now what is the evidence of his faithfulness to us and how does he accomplish this work, the God of peace? How does he accomplish this work of wholeness in us? Notice a couple things that Paul lists here uh, that God is doing. Number one, he is sanctifying us now. He is, he is sanctifying us now. The word sanctify means to be set apart for a special purpose. To be set apart for God's purpose. Some of you have silverware that's going to be broken out this week. 
and it hasn't been broken out since last year, last Thanksgiving, or maybe last Christmas. It, co- it only comes out at the holidays. Now, some of you may have silverware that even your family isn't special enough. You're waiting for you're waiting for some great celebrity that you love to come to the house before you break it out. But but for some of us, I remember my grandma had in her in her uh, uh, dining room. She had, you know, the good silverware, you know, the kind that you could you could put water in the in the glasses and you could play them. You know, you guys have any anybody have those glasses? You can play the glasses. My uncle would sometimes uh, on Thanksgiving would play the glasses with the water. Some of you look like you're looking at me like you have no clue what I'm talking about. Some of you, some of you are nodding. Okay, thank you. You know what I'm talking about. If you've never heard somebody play the glasses, man, you gotta, you, you gotta expand your family, right? You gotta, you gotta get in, you gotta get married into or something, uh, or have one of your kids or grandkids get married into a family that that has those kind of glasses. But, anyways, my point is that that at the holidays, that's when that silverware would come out. I want you to understand that you are that special occasion work that God has you may not feel like it you may not feel like you're all that special at all and guess what by yourself in your flesh you're not but again the value of something is determined by what someone is willing to pay for it and Jesus was willing to give his own life for you to shed his blood for you you have incredible value I shared with our Sunday morning Bible study this morning from the book of James That we are all, all, all of us created in the image of God. We are all image bearers of God. And so every human being, saved or unsaved, has incredible intrinsic value. Born, unborn. Healthy, unhealthy. Male, female, doesn't matter. We're all created in the image of God. We are all special. And God has a purpose for everyone if we will trust him. The tragedy is for the individual who doesn't trust in Christ that not only do they suffer the wrath of God that they did not have to suffer because Jesus paid for their sin. Jesus has offered them a way to be forgiven and to have eternal life simply by his grace, simply by placing our faith in him, turning from our sin and turning to Jesus as our savior and and receiving his grace. But another tragedy is that They never experience the purpose that God could have had for them. For those who reject God, God has a purpose for them as well. But it's not the purpose that they could have experienced. And similarly, similarly for the Christian, we all have a purpose. God has a purpose for our life. And the the tragedy is that some Christians will get to heaven. And as Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, they are saved. Yes, but as if by fire, meaning that that they as, as the fire uh, tests their their works, not for salvation, they're already in heaven, but for reward. The works pass through the fire of God's judgment, and for some, it will reveal a life that was lived faith, love, hope. And what will come out of that fire is gold, silver, precious stones. But for others, even though they're saved, they, they haven't been living by faith, they haven't been growing in their faith, not really th- all that loving. Their love is not a labor of love. It's a convenience of love. And they're not really putting their hope in Jesus. They're putting their hope in their circumstances. They're putting their hope in their feelings or in their finances or in 
their family. They're putting their hope everywhere but where it needs to be placed, and that's Jesus Christ. But God wants you to understand that He is working in your life to set you apart, to sanctify you, to make you more and more useful for His work and His service. And as I believe it was D.L. Moody said, many of us are willing to do great things for God, but few of us are willing to do the little things. But it's in the little things. It's in the little things. It's in those words of encouragement. It's, it's in those hospital visits or those visits uh, that you, you go to somebody's house. Don't, don't put it all on the preacher. You, we, we visit as much as we can. I and, and, and Butch have been going out, and, and I know uh, some of you do visitation. But we need all of us to, to carry that load, to, to labor in love and to be encouraging and to be reaching out to people. God has a special sanctifying purpose for you. There are people that you can encourage that they may not even like me very much. <laughs> they, may not, they may not think it, a visit from, from DJ is all that big a deal, but a phone call from you or a word of encouragement from you. As I shared with you, I think last Sunday night, You've all experienced that power when somebody else has brought that word of encouragement to you. So be the answer of prayer. Be someone else's answered prayer. The way that some people have answered your prayer. You be the answer of prayer for somebody else. I shared with you before, but I'll share it again. I've been here long enough now. My stories are starting to cycle, starting to repeat. When Gigi and I were trying to decide whether or not God was calling calling me to move back and her to move to Cumberland uh, to take the position at Calvary Christian Academy. And we hadn't shared it with anybody at, at the church where I was serving. And um, it was going to mean a, a pretty big pay cut uh, for me. Uh, if, if you know, the teachers at uh, Calvary make way below what they deserve. And um, it's a real sacrifice in ministry uh, that, they, that they do out there. And so I... We were praying about it, and we were, is this really what God wants us to do, and how are we going to make it work? We just, we got a new, we got a baby, we got a new child we got to worry about and take care of. And as we were praying, and we just felt like God was leading us, somebody came up and uh, gave me that handshake, and there was something in it, and I didn't look at it until we got home, and I was just floored at, at the gift that they had given us. They had no idea what we were praying about. They had no idea, and I, and I know it was... They, they, we just feel like the Lord's telling us to, to encourage you and to give this and, and to you. And they had no idea how that was an answer to prayer, how God was saying, I got this. I own the cattle on a thousand hills. I got this. You trust me. You follow me. And so if God has used others in our lives like that, and you, I'm sure you have your own story. Let's pray for ways that we can be that answer prayer for someone else, that we can be that encouragement to someone else. God is sanctifying us. He is making us fit. We have to be responsive to his leading. Let me give you the second one here. Not only is he sanctifying us now, but he is working to make us blameless in our entire being. See, there, there is a twofold aspect to the sanctification of God on the one hand when the moment you get saved you are declared righteous in the court of heaven okay you are declared righteous you are placed in Christ he already sees you as righteous your sin is gone 
Your sin is far as east is from the west. You do not have to worry about getting to heaven and some big screen on the, on the heavenly wall scrolling all of your sins for everybody to see. I don't know where that heresy came from. But that's what I used to, as I was a kid, I, don't, I don't, can't remember anybody ever teaching me that, but that's what I got. And then I heard somebody else share with me that they had that same thing, and it wasn't true. And I thought, I hope they're right. I hope they're right. And then I got it more and more into the Word, and I said, absolutely, my sin's gone. It's gone. In heaven. In heaven. It ain't gone on earth yet, folks. I'm still a work in progress. You ask, you ask my baby cake back there. You ask my son. I'm still a work in progress. I, I don't always have a good day. I'm not always flying high. I'm not always uh, uh, as submitted to the Spirit as I should be. And so God has sanctified me. Yes, He's already set me apart, but there is still a work of sanctification, a work of making me more and more like Jesus. And God is doing that work in my body, in my soul, and in my spirit. I'm, I'm not going to dive too deeply into this tonight. Um, we may come and address this at some deeper level at, at some future time, but God very clearly tells us in His Word that you are not just a two-part being with a body and with a soul and spirit. You are a three-part being. Your soul and your spirit are not the same. They are, they are distinct. Now, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 tells us that they are so similar and they're so woven together inside of our body, our spirit and our soul, that only the Word of God can distinguish between your soul and your spirit. Only the Word of God can do that work. It is why it needs to be sharper than a two-edged sword, that it's able to discern our thoughts, it's able to distinguish between what is my soul and what is my spirit. But let me try to break it down for you just a little bit tonight. We're not, again, not, we're not going to get too metaphysical tonight, but I want you to know how God made you and how God put you together. Your soul and your spirit are connected to your body and listen you are your body your body is not just a vessel it's why death is so painful it's why death does have a sting it's why grave does have a temporary victory and it's why jesus had to physically rise from the dead jesus physically rose from the dead so that we can physically rise from the dead. Now, when we rise, it's not going to be in the same body, the exact same body in, in the sense that it's in the same condition. Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 compares it to a seed and a full-grown tree. Is it the same? Well, in one sense, because the tree comes from the seed. But in another sense, it's completely different. And that's what it's going to be like for every believer who is asleep in Christ or who is, as Paul says in chapter four, the dead in Christ, when they rise first, their body will actually empty that casket. Every time I stand, whether it's before a casket or an urn or even a graveside, wherever, whenever I stand before the remains, the physical remains of a believer, I remind myself that that is just a temporary holding place. 
That is just a temporary container. Jesus Christ will literally raise every dead Christian body from the dead and make them a new creation. But it will be from the old. Mortality will put on immortality. Corruption will put on incorruption. And in that moment, death will be swallowed up in victory. And we will say, oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? But you are your body. It's not just a shell. That's, that's why what we do and how we use our bodies, it, it matters. How we treat our body matters. Some Christians have the idea. It's, a, it's actually from Gnosticism that the body is just, it's just the container for the real me. No, it's part of who you are. It is part of who you are. Otherwise, death wouldn't, wouldn't be such a sorrowful thing. We are our bodies. Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is within you? That you were bought with a price? And he's talking about your body there. You, your body, was bought with a price. So we have to honor God with our bodies. We have to honor God with our bodies. But, of course, we are more than a body. He doesn't start with the body, the soma in Greek. He starts with the pneuma. The pneuma is the Greek word wind that's also translated as our spirit, our immortal spirit. Now, if you are a Christian, this is what has already been made new and given new life. When we talk about being born again, you have been given a living spirit. We're all born. We're all born dead in our trespasses and sins. Ephesians chapter two, verse one. But the moment you become a new creation, a new believer, the moment you are, Jesus said, born again, you are born not of the flesh, but you are born of water, even meaning even the spirit. Jesus says you're born of water. And by that, I mean, you're born of the Holy Spirit. And so. We are born of the Spirit in our spirit. We are now a living spirit, born again in the Spirit, John chapter 3. But that is distinct from our mind. That is distinct from our mind. The Greek word is suke or psyche, from which we get our English word psyche, as in psychiatric or psychology as in psychosomatic which is the connection between our mind and our body it's why sometimes when we are uh, uh, psychologically ill it affects us physically and why sometimes when we're physically ill it affects our mind and it, it can discourage us and and can bring discouragement because because just as our spirit and soul are interwoven so our mind which is these little gray cells up here, right, in our brain. So our mind is literally intertwined and interfaced with our body, specifically here in our brains. And if the silver cord is cut, and I don't believe that's just poetic when Solomon talks about that, when, whenever that cord is severed and cut, then that's when we experience death. Whenever our spirit and soul are then divided from our body and we experience death. I heard the late Adrian Rogers speak on this trichotomy is what it's called. The, the fact that we are 
body, mind, and spirit, and not just made up of two things, but actually made up of three. And he explained it like this. The body is the part of you that connects to the world beneath you. Your soul is the part of you that connects to the world around you, your relationships. And your spirit is the part of you that connects with the world above you. And it, it, if you are saved, it's what enables you to uh, live in heaven with Jesus and with all who have gone before us in Christ. God is working on our bodies, our souls, and our spirit. Now, why is this distinction important? I'm not going to take the time to go to 1 Corinthians this, more, or this evening uh, because that, th- that's a whole other message for a whole other time. But in 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul draws a distinction between the natural man and the spiritual man. The natural man cannot understand the things of God. They have to be spiritually discerned. Now, what a lot of Christians misunderstand because they take those verses out of context, they think he's talking about the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian. They think the non-Christian, that's the natural man, which is actually the word suke or mind in 1 Corinthians, and that the spiritual man is the Christian. That's not what he's saying because he turns around and tells them in chapter 3, you guys... You're Christians, but you're naturally minded. You're living in your, in your suke, in your soul. You're all about your feelings. See, your, your soul is where your feelings are. It's where, when we get up all, all up in our feelings. And feelings are a wonderful servant, but a terrible master. God gave you your emotions to be servants, but when we allow our soul, when we allow our emotions and our mind and our will and our opinions to control us, we're not living spiritually minded. And so Paul is saying to us, don't be a carnally minded Christian. Don't be a Christian who's all cut up and all you worry about is your soul and your mind and how you think and how you feel. You have to be a spiritually minded believer. You have to be discerning what the Holy Spirit is saying. And even if it contradicts sometimes how we feel, and by sometimes I mean often, it contradicts how I feel. I read things in the Bible and say, I don't want to do that. That's not how I feel. I don't want to pray that way. The Holy Spirit says, pray without ceasing, rejoice evermore, in everything give thanks. I don't feel thankful. We'll start giving thanks. Start giving thanks. Get out of your soul and into your spirit. But again, that doesn't mean our soul is worthless or, or going to be replaced any more than our body. It all belongs to God. It's, it's all who we are. God wants us to redeem our minds. God wants us to renew our minds, right? Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so as we allow our spirit to lead, our mind, our emotion begins to follow. But if we just treat the mind and we just worry about our feelings and what I think and how I feel, we're never going to grow and be the whole Christian that God wants us to be. God wants us to live out our faith in our spirit, in our soul, in our bodies. Again, your body, that's what connects you to the world beneath you. Your soul, that's what connects you to the world around you. Your 
thoughts, your feelings, which express themselves in your relationships and your spirit. That's what connects you to the world above you. And why is God doing this? Because, again, he says he is preserving us blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's preserving us for Jesus any moment return. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, the trump of God. The dead in Christ will rise first, and then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together in clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. That should be a word of comfort. In fact, we're commanded to comfort one another with these words. But it's only going to be a comfort if we're allowing God to do that work of wholeness, of peace in our bodies, in our minds, our soul, and in our spirit. When we get out of whack in one of those three areas, we are not whole. We're not whole. And so we need to trust God to do that work. And, and the promise here is he is, look, look again, verse 24. Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. Aren't you glad it doesn't depend on you? Now, he, we have to be obedient. But aren't you glad that the wholeness, because we're all, we're fractured. We are, we are uh, uh, failing human beings. We're, we are all sinners saved by grace. And so it's God's faithfulness that is preserving us in our spirit, in our mind, and yes, in our body for that day when our body will be resurrected or raptured and transformed in the rapture. He's preserving us for Jesus any moment return. Now, let me, as we close this uh, book, give you just a few more things here that we'll talk about. I want to try to wrap this up tonight. And so look with me at verse 25. He says, brethren... Pray for us. Pray for us. Listen, there's a lot in those three simple words. But they express the need to pray for our missionaries. I'm so thankful for uh, Andy Maples and the, the, um, the amount of time that he has uh, invested in our church. Uh, as uh, most of you know, Andy's a missionary at New Life Bible Camp and has been faithfully serving there for how many years now, Andy? going on 35 years. Uh, Andy, I know, could use your prayers. Andy needs prayer. Uh, Emily, Emily Greenwald, uh, Cambodia, needs your prayers. All of our missionaries need your prayers. And I encourage all of you ladies, uh, uh, Rhonda does a great job with our Heart for Missions, uh, first Saturday uh, of every month and uh, 10 o'clock on Saturday morning. And it's a great time to uh, practice this verse, to live this out, to be praying for our missionaries. They have unique challenges uh, that you and I uh, don't uh, face, whether that, that be here locally as a, as a stateside missionary like Andy and the staff up at New Life uh, or like uh, Emily on the foreign mission field. Um, Charlie Johnson just got back from mi ministry in Greece, and I know that uh, he appreciates all the prayers that were prayed for him. So let me give you just very quickly shotgun style let me give you very quickly uh, some things to pray for. Second uh, Corinthians chapter one eleven, Philippians one eighteen. Pray for deliverance from trials for those who are serving the Lord in missions. Ephesians six nineteen. Pray for boldness. You know why Paul was so bold? Because he was praying for boldness, and he was asking everybody he could 
he could get to pray for him, pray that I'm bold. That's why he was bold. Because people were praying for him to be bold. Colossians 4, 3 and 4, pray for open doors for ministry. Pray for clarity in preaching. Now, I know I'm not always as clear as I could be, and I'm not always as clear as I should be. But I would simply ask you, if you get frustrated with me not being clear enough, just pray for me to be more clear. Pray for me to, it, before, before you c- complain, and I'm not saying you, you don't ever have to, okay? Uh, I don't always, I don't know, you can ask Gigi, I don't always feel like, man, that was a great message today. Sometimes I'm, I get real frustrated, I think, oh, I should have said this, or I forgot to say that, or I left out that illustration. Uh, sometimes I'm not, I don't say things as, as clearly as I would like to say them. Um, and I know missionaries who have to deal with language barriers and who have to deal with cultural barriers uh, experience this even more than I do. Pray for clarity in their preaching and in their teaching. Second Thessalonians 3, 1, pl- pray that not only is it clear preaching, but effective, that it bears the fruit that God wants it to bear, and specifically that it would spread quickly and be received with honor, that it would be honored. Second Thessalonians 3, 1, we'll get there, Lord willing. Uh, in a few months when we get to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. But we need to pray for our missionaries. Look at verse 26. This is one of those verses. This is in a couple of the New Testament epistles that always causes a little bit of of, uh, eyebrow raising, unless you've been to other cultures where they do a lot of of kissing to say hello and say goodbye. You know, uh, some of us aren't even comfortable with handshakes, but uh, in some cultures, uh, you know, you get a kiss on the cheek, uh, coming and going, uh, kiss on the left cheek, kiss on the right cheek, kiss on the left cheek, or, or vice versa. Um, I, I know uh, when I go, uh, last time we saw uh, 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 Mommy and the Tata, uh, that's, we, we kiss, we kiss, to, that's how they greet, that's part of their culture. And so uh, this is not a command for everyone in every culture that you all got to start kissing one another, okay? Just just relax. I know that, so let me alleviate any of it, especially you introverts. Let me alleviate any concern. But what, what does it mean when Paul says, greet all the brethren with a holy kiss? Well, let's take our focus off the word kiss, which our culture is obsessed with, right? And let's move it back to the word holy. See, what Paul is really saying here is that We need to call one another to holiness in our fellowship. However we express affection, we need to do it with holiness. By the way, the word for kiss here, literally in the Greek, uh, philema, which comes from uh, phileo, which is one of the words for love. It literally means to share warm affection, that we show affection, warm affection for one another. Whatever your cultural expression of that is, let's do it with holiness let's treat one another as the sons and daughters of God because that's what we are I'm a son of God but that doesn't make me any more special than any other son of God or daughter of God if you are a son or daughter of God listen God has no favorites okay God has no favorites God loves us all we're all his kids we get to spend forever in in the big big house in our in our daddy's house up in heaven uh, which will be heaven on earth someday. But uh, we need to start practicing that holiness in our fellowship today. Look at verse 27. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read unto all the holy brethren. And so let me very briefly stress the importance of this epistle for all believers. Again, this may have been the very first epistle that Paul wrote. There's a debate. Did Paul write 
Galatians first, or did he write first and second Thessalonians and then Galatians? Okay. Regardless, it was one of the first two epistles that Paul wrote. Most scholars are in, at least in agreement of that. And it was to be a foundational book. It's, it's a foundational book for the church. Paul said, make sure you read this everywhere. Make sure this gets to all the churches, not just for you. This is for all of us. We all need to be reminded of the importance that we are working out our faith in serving the Lord. That salvation is not just a ticket to heaven to us, but it is a walk, a lifestyle that we live in response to the grace that has been given us and no greater grace than the forgiveness of sins and the eternal life and the adoption into the family of God. It's important that we that we stress that it's important that we stress that we are to labor in love for one another, labor in love for the Lord, labor in love for one another, that we don't just serve when it's convenient, that we just we don't just serve when we feel like it, that we are we are serving as we're able. That doesn't mean that God wants any of us to burn out. That doesn't mean that serving is more that serving the church is more important than serving your family, serving your spouse, serving your kids. Okay? Don't don't I don't want anybody to burn out in serving the Lord. But we all need to be serving the Lord and laboring in love. And then of course every believer needs that hope to get through the day. The hope that we have in Jesus Christ because if if we have hope, then we can develop patience. If you have no hope, you're, gonna, you're not going to have any patience if you don't have any hope. If you don't have any hope. So the importance of this epistle for all believers, it's a foundational book, one that uh, we need to go as individual Christians, we need to go back to time and time and time again. And, and don't worry, I, I, I will continue to quote First uh, Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17 and, and other passages with great frequency. Uh, and then lastly, verse 28, as Paul often ends his epistles, the grace of our Lord, maybe always, uh, I didn't uh, double check that, but I think always he ends with the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And so we end with the message of the sustaining grace of our Lord for his church. Listen, you have saving grace that's received by faith. That's when you get saved, when you admit you're a sinner, recognize Jesus died for your rose again, call upon him, turn from your sin, turn to the Savior. You receive saving grace. Then we're called not just to get saved by grace, but to walk in faith. And that is how we receive serving grace. And as we receive serving grace, we find that God gives us also a third kind which here is the sustaining grace of Jesus Christ. As he is sanctifying and working in us, faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for the um, message that uh, you have given to us in your word. I pray, God, that um, you will help us to remember the lessons of this book, this short epistle, God, that we would be marked as a church and as individuals, marked by our faith and our love and our hope as we await your return for us, serving you faithfully and joyfully, giving thanks in all circumstances, praying 
in every situation where we need to. God, because you have done such a great work for us and you continue to work in us and through us and we get to spend forever with you in heaven. We love and thank you. We praise all this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're not going to sing, but I do want to give you just a moment to do some business with the Holy Spirit before we leave tonight. So as Cindy plays, uh, if you have a need, the altar is open. Our, Our deacons are here. But right where you are, I just ask you to spend some moment, uh, spend a moment, talk to the Holy Spirit, ask how he would have you to respond to his word tonight. privilege and a great responsibility is that we can come boldly to the throne of grace to find mercy and grace in times of need, which God are many in in each of our lives. Father, may we be ever thankful for that. And God, this Thanksgiving, may we be most of all thankful for the life that we have in Jesus Christ, our great high priest, our King of kings and Lord of lords, and our returning Savior. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. God bless you. Hope you have a wonderful uh, Thanksgiving week. You are dismissed. That's all for today. I hope this has made a positive impact in your relationship with Jesus. If you've never accepted Christ as your Savior and you'd like to know how, give one of our pastors a call at 301-724-5876. We would love nothing more than to share the good news with you. If you've never joined us in person, we have services multiple times throughout the week that we would love to see you at. They are Sunday morning Bible study at 9.15 a.m., Sunday morning service at 10.30 a.m., Sunday evening service at 6.30 p.m., and Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. We also have opportunities for our students to gather. The youth group for grades 6 through 12 meets at 6 o'clock p.m. on Sundays, and our WANA program for 6th grade and under meets at 6.15 p.m. on Wednesdays. Again, we thank you for joining us today, and we hope to see you soon. But until next time, stay faithful. Thank you.